1 Samuel uh, chapter 22, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel chapter 22. Sunday school is uh, going. <laughs> Sorry, Jillian. Maybe, depends what mood they're in today, the little ones. So 1 Samuel chapter 22, I'm just reading uh, the first two verses only. David escaped there, sorry, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men uh, with him. Now because of the lineage of Jesus, sorry, because of the lineage of David, Jesus is often called David's greater son. Matthew chapter 1, you'll see that uh, Jesus most certainly is in the lineage of David. And in Luke 2 and 3, we also see that Joseph, David's, uh, Jesus' foster father on earth, he also was the lineage of David. And Mary, his mother, also was of the lineage of David. So therefore, he's often called by us David's greater son. Psalm 22 is one of David's messianic psalms. And it's a psalm where there is a lot of connection between what happened to Jesus on the cross and what was happening to David at that particular time. It was a psalm that Jesus was very familiar with and very fond of. In fact, it was a psalm that he quoted from when he was on the cross uh, when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 31 and 5, another psalm of David, he quoted from the cross, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And so for all of those reasons, David is usually called, uh, Jesus is usually called David's greater son. And this incident in the life of David in 1 Samuel 22 gives us uh, a kind of type and shadow of Jesus in the New Testament. Now, not all types and shadows are perfect in every respect, but this here, you can see something of Christ in this particular incident in the life of David. Saul, who's the rejected ruler, still is clinging to power, and uh, he actually will not give up the throne. Not only that, he's insanely jealous of David, knowing that David has been anointed king over Israel by Samuel the prophet, but he's hounding him all over the country. And David's living in dens and caves, and uh, Saul wants to kill him. He wants to stop him getting his rightful place as leader and king over the nation of the whole nation of Israel and Judah. And so David here is hidden away in the cave of Adullam, and that's near the ancient city of Adullam. And while he's there, word gets out, that's where he is. And so we read there were his brethren, his brothers, and his parents, and probably lots of neighbors, and people who knew him and loved him and respected him, about 400, they also went to gather around David. Later on, there would be about another 200 gather as well. So in the end, he would have 600. Now that would only be about a fifth of the army of, of Saul who was hounding him. 
And so here they are in the cave of Adullam, and they really are an odd bunch, aren't they? Those who were distressed, those who were in debt, those who were discontented. Could they possibly be the ones that would be raised up as the greatest army that Israel had ever known? Didn't seem like it at the time, didn't look like it, but later on it would prove to be so. Now what is the spiritual application of what I'm saying this morning regarding today for us? Well, first of all, Saul, the rejected ruler, represents Satan, the prince of this world who has been dethroned, who has been cast down, who has been deposed. And it seems like Satan, or Lucifer, as he originally was called, it seems like he was once a, a great archangel. And Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel uh, 28 gives a description of the, the type of creature that he was. Ezekiel 28, 14, called the anointed cherub who covers. And so that would imply that he was very, very, very close to the throne of God, covering the throne of God. And a being that was most beautiful and a being that was very powerful and a being that was very wise, and yet in his pride, he tried to usurp the very throne of God. He tried to be above God's very throne and God cast him down and he lost his position. And right now he is the evil one. He's the wicked one. And in fact, Paul in Ephesians 2 and 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. But thank God he is the rejected one and he is the defeated one and he is the deposed one. And David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one who is the rightful ruler over this world. He's been chosen, he's been appointed, he's been anointed, but right now, he's hidden from sight. Right now, he's not in view. Right now, he's awaiting his coronation on earth. And one day soon, he will return and he'll take up his rightful place as King of kings and Lord of all lords, and the kings of this world will crown him Lord of all. So let's see now these people who came to David at the cave of Adullam. First of all, the distressed. That means they're in a straight place, a confined, hemmed in. The tyranny of Saul's rule over them had brought great distress. Saul could be very vindictive and malicious. He could be very cruel and temperamental. And in fact, if we had a read on in that chapter we started with, you would see that he, in, in his mad and sane anger and jealousy of David, he actually had 85 men of God, priests of God, he had them slaughtered because he thought that they were helping David in his escape. And he wanted his soldiers to kill the priests of God and they wouldn't do it. But Doeg, an Edomite, was there. He was his chief shepherd. And he asked him to do it and he was only too glad to do it. And he murdered them in cold blood. And not only that, he went into the village where they live and he slaughtered all of their family and even their sheep and their oxen. Such was the, the insanity and the anger and the rage of this king to do that. It was the blackest blot on his whole reign. Uh, and not only that, but there was times he was so jealous of David that he picked up javelins and threw them at him and tried to pin David to the wall. That's the type of leader 
that Saul had become in Israel. The devil is a hard taskmaster. He really is. And rebellion against God's order always ends up in distress. And these people have been serving the wrong master. But now at the last, at least four to six hundred of them decided enough was enough. And now they turn to David. Whenever you realize that Satan is a hard taskmaster, there's only one you can turn to in this world. And that is David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that we could run to. Times of great distress are coming to this world. In fact, we're in a period of distress. You know, in January and February, we never imagined in a million years that the world would turn out the way it's turned out at the moment. We never imagined the world would be in shutdown. There'd hardly be a plane in the skies. There'd hardly be a car on the road. There'd hardly be a person walking in the streets. We'd hardly believe that that could happen. But it's happened and it is happening. And it's caused great distress and great fear. And people have died. There's no mistaking this is a killer disease. And people have died. Uh, and old people in, their, in, in, the, in the homes that they're in can't see their loved ones. Uh, over the best part of this year and there's great distress over all these things by loved ones and by parents and by children and by everybody. Time of great distress. But can I say this morning that that's just a precursor of what's coming on this earth. This is nothing in comparison to what's coming down the track. So we better be prepared because there's days ahead of us that none of us has ever lived through. We've never lived through this, but this is small in comparison to what's coming. Say, so how do you know that? Because Jesus talked about it. Actually, in Luke chapter 21, and if you could turn to that, please, this morning. Luke chapter 21, just reading from verse 7. And so they asked him, his disciples, they asked him saying, Teacher, when will these things be and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? He said, Take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is drawn near. Sorry, the time is drawn near. Therefore do not go after them, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. And he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And we've seen lots of that even in our lifetime. The word nation there is ethnos, which is where we get ethnic from. So it's not just whole nation against whole nations, but within a nation, people groups fighting, massacring each other. And we have seen lots of that in our generation, particularly in Africa. He said there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places, and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven, whatever that's going to be. But before all these things, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. 
but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts. Do not meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost by your patience possess your souls. It is an absolute fact that today in 2020 that the two most persecuted groups in the world are Christians and Jews. Without question, that is the case. So many nations... There's a list of nations that are persecutors of Christians and Jews. There's a wave of anti-Semitism that's sweeping across Europe right now. And that's why many, many Jews living in France and different places in Germany, they are going back to Israel because they feel it's the only place they can be safe because at least there's a government who will fight for them and an army who will fight for them. Southern Ireland's one of the most anti-Semitic countries in all of Europe. It is. And Christians the world over are being persecuted. And governments are legislating all kinds of things that are so anti-Christ that you can hardly believe that we're seeing it. But it's happening before our very eyes. China today, their president for life, is is most anti-Christian. And he's doing everything he can to stump Christianity out of communist China. He wants Christians to be communists, not Christians. And so we have that situation even today. And it will increase. But in Matthew 24 and 6, where Jesus is talking about the same things, he said, see that you be not troubled. (laughs) That's good, isn't it? In spite of all of this is going on, he says, see that you be not troubled. Do not live in fear of these things that are coming. Others will and have every right to be, but not us. He says, don't you be troubled. These things will happen. I'm telling you beforehand, but don't be troubled. I'll be with you. I will come with you through this. Then he goes on to say, in verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on earth distress of nations with perplexity. That means having no way out not knowing what to do. We're seeing that even today. (laughs) Not knowing what to do. Governments scrambling around, looking for an answer to the COVID-19, not knowing what to do. And it'll get worse. The sea and the waves roaring. Ah, so not only is there astronomical signs, but there's meteorological signs as well. The sea and the waves roaring. Can that be tsunamis? Well, we've seen some of those in recent years, but they're going to get worse. And then he says in verse 26, men's hearts feeling them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Glory to God. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 8, he backs this up in verse uh, 
uh, 35 of Romans 8, he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. And so great distress is coming upon this world that we live in. Then notice not only those who were distressed, but those who were in debt came to David. Their burden was unbearable. The taxes, the demands, the penalties imposed by Saul, and they had nothing to pay with. Now, Monetary debt is terrible. In marriage they say, unto debt us do part. And it has destroyed many a family. So we need to be careful about getting in debt because the strain and the pressure and the trouble and the strife that it causes is immense. But there's another debt. There's a spiritual debt that's even worse. And those who live under the kingdom of this world with its rejected ruler automatically comes under a law which imposes a debt to God which we cannot pay. And the Bible speaks very clearly of this. In Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, and if you don't mind, I'm going to read just a little bit from the New Living Translation which is a paraphrase. In Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 10. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. Consequently, it is clear that no one can ever be right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. How different from this way of faith is the way of the law, which says if you wish to find life by obeying the law, you must obey all its commands. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And through the work of Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, and we Christians receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now Paul's writing to the Galatian Christians. And the churches in Galatia had been doing ever so well. There were Jews that got saved and were going on with Christ, but Judaizers came among them. And these were people to say, it's okay to be a Christian, but you must obey all the laws of Moses. You must keep the laws of Moses to be a real Christian. And Paul says, no, no way. That's gone. It's now by grace, faith and trust in Christ, through grace that we're saved, that's gone. And so he's fighting a battle for the very souls of these Galatian believers who was 
and a tendency now to go back to Judaism that they had come out of, the bondage that they had come out of, there's a tendency to go back to that. That's what the Judaizers wanted them to do. And Paul says no. So that's why he's writing to them. And he's comparing the Old Testament laws, all the laws to grace and the New Testament. And he says, you don't want to go back to that because that was bondage to you. And you were cursed because of that. Why? Because you couldn't keep the law. Nobody could keep God's law perfectly. So he says that brings a curse upon you if you can't keep it. So why would you want to go back to that when you're set free from it? And then in chapter 5 of the same book, Galatians, uh, verse 1, So Christ has really set us free to make sure that you stay free. Do not get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ cannot help you. Of course, circumcision to the Jew was a big thing. I mean, it proved your dedication to God. It proved that you were a true Jew, a true blue Jew. But Paul says, listen, I tell you, if you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ cannot help you. I said again, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey all the regulations in the whole law of Moses. For, you, for if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. So he says, if you're going to get back into the law, then you've got to keep every part of it. Because if you don't, you stand condemned before a holy God. In fact, James, later on in James chapter 2, verse 10, he makes it abundantly clear. He says, even if you keep all of the law, all of it, and just break one point, he says, God will hold you guilty as if you broke every part of it. That's how high God's standard of holiness is. It's so high that without Christ and without the Holy Spirit, we could never keep God's standard. We couldn't do it in and of ourselves. And the law was like that. It's such a high standard. You just break one point of it. God says, well, you're guilty as if you broke all of it. So that doesn't seem fair. But it shows you how high God's standard is. And it shows you how easily we break it. We have broken God's laws all of our life. We've broken it all of our life. You know, the people who are self-righteous, who would say, well, I'm a good person, I haven't killed anybody, and I haven't really stolen stuff, and you know, I'm a good neighbor, and I do all these things, and I know I'm not perfect, and I'm sure there's times I slip up, and, but God understands that. No, he doesn't. No, 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 if you're going to live by that law, then you better make sure you don't slip up at all, and it's impossible not to, and then you stand condemned. So you come to Christ, the one who has paid the price for all our law-breaking you know, we're lawbreakers, and lawbreakers have got to be punished, haven't they? The wages of sin, the Bible says, is what? Is death, separation from God. Physical death comes later, but it's separation from God. But Christ came, and he took the punishment for all our lawbreaking. He paid the price of that so that we could go free, so that we could be forgiven for that and get out from under all those regulations and be free in grace to serve Christ the rest of her days. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 19, obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purposes is to keep people from having excuses and to bring the entire world into judgment before God. For no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his law commands. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. Isn't that? That's why God gave the law. 
He didn't give the law to save people because it can't save you. He gave the law to expose us to show us how far short we fall of God's holy laws. We fall so short. But now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight, not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We were made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, and we all can be saved in this same way, no matter who or are or what we have done. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Jesus Christ, who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We were made right with God when we believed that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. And there's a lot more scriptures to make that even clear. And so, there is a debt that we owed God that we could not pay. And Jesus had to come and pay that debt for us and wipe the slate clean and give us a new life. And these Galatian Christians who had experienced that were in danger now of going back to the old ways that they had been brought up in. They're trying to keep all the minutiae of the law as well as the Ten Commandments, of course. Then there were 613 other laws and then on top of that, the Pharisees and the scribes, they made other laws to hedge in those laws. And so the people were burdened and couldn't bear it. And Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You make all these laws and you can't even keep them. You don't lift a finger to anybody else. So thank God today that we don't have to do that. Aren't you glad that you don't have to kill a sheep or a lamb or a bullock? Every time you come before God, make a sacrifice. Aren't you glad you can just come into his presence and bow before him and say, thank you, Father, that through your son, the Lord Jesus, I have access into your presence today. Isn't it wonderful? That's the freedom of grace. It's the freedom of the salvation of God. Those who were distressed, those who were in debt, and the discontented, the angry, the bitter, sighing heavily, miserable, restless, unhappy. That's what it means, the discontented. The whole nation was discontented because Saul was such a hard taskmaster. No wonder they were discontented because they were living under Saul, but they were longing for David. And they were in between two stools. Living under Saul, serving Saul, but longing for David, longing for freedom. No wonder they were discontented. The kingdom they lived in was burdensome, it was harsh. Saul had become a tyrant, his reign over them had just been too much to bear and they yearned for a better life, for a better future and only David could give them that. And so they were beginning to realize this. And that was make your mind up time. What are you going to do? Are you going to live under Saul? Or are you going to go and serve David? That's the position they were in. And thank God, at least, even though it was going to cost them, at least there was 400. Initially it said, enough is enough. We're going to go to David. 
We're going to go and serve him. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 11? Come unto me, all you who are labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. You see, when you realize the devil is a hard taskmaster, there's only one you can turn to, isn't there? There's only one. David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it was make your mind up time, and they finally decided, that's it. We're going to throw our lot in with David. And even though he's in the cave of Adullam, it's better being with him there than living under the tyranny of Saul. And even though leaving Saul's kingdom had caused them problems, uh, and it could be costly, it may even cost them friendships. It may even cost division within their families. And sometimes when you come to Christ, there's a price, there's a cost. You may have to leave some friends behind. Even family members may not want you to do it. They may fight actively against it. In fact, if you were in some countries, if you're in a Muslim country or a Hindu country or a Buddhist country, it may cost you your very life to become a follower of Jesus. They may say you have dishonored the family. But no matter what, no matter what the cost, these 400 decided we are going to go and we'll live under David, we'll serve David, not Saul. And so they had to go, as it were, outside the camp. In Hebrews 13, it talks about Jesus being slain outside the city walls, outside the gates of Jerusalem. As a criminal, you were executed outside the gates, outside the walls, outside the, into the limits of the city. And, and, and Jesus was outside the ecclesiastical camp of the scribes and the Pharisees that caused his death on the cross. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let us then go outside the camp following Christ, taking up our cross. And sometimes that's what it costs to be a follower, a true follower of Jesus. Sometimes you have to go outside the camp Sometimes that's where the struggle comes in when it comes time to make up your mind whether you're going to follow Jesus or not. You think, well, what will my friends say? What will my family say? What will my boss say? What will this say? Who say or that say? And then you have to say, well, i got to make up my mind. I'm either going to keep following Saul or I'm going to follow David, but I've got to make a decision and a choice. Aren't you glad you made that choice and you began to follow David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ? And so they acknowledge David as their rightful ruler. You can't serve two masters. You can only serve one. And they swore allegiance to David. And we, today, believers, we acknowledge and we swear allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, David's greater son. They changed kingdoms. Saul's kingdom could no longer hold them. They had to completely make a break from that old way of life. And every true believer in Christ has had to do that. We've had to make the break, hadn't we? We had to walk away. We had to turn around, turn our back on it, and go God's way. And then this is lovely. In verse 2, David became their captain. In verse 2, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, 
And everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became captain over them. What a bunch. Farmers, herdsmen, fishermen, shepherds, vine dressers, the broken, the beaten, the bankrupt. Who would have thought that this lot, who would have thought that this lot would be the nucleus for the greatest army that Israel had ever known? And David would train them in the art of warfare. David was a warrior. He was a great soldier, fearless in battle. And he would train them with the sword and with the bow and arrow, even with the slingshot. He was an expert at that also. And he would train them. And and out of that would come a great, great army. And the 200 that joined as well, among them were some of the greatest soldiers that David ever had. David's mighty men they became known as. I didn't know who slew 800 men in one day. He was some fighter, eh? And Shammah, who defended the field of lentils and killed many Philistines, many of them. And Eliezer, son of Dodo, who fought until his hand cleaved to the sword. He just would not stop fighting till every one of his enemies were down. And Abishai, who slew 300 with a spear, 300 men on his own with just a spear. What a fighter. And Benaniah, who slew two lion-like heroes of Moab, two of Moab's greatest warriors, and he took both of them on, and he killed them. And he slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day. <laughs> he was some pup, wasn't he? Imagine killing a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Absolutely fearless. These became David's mighty men. And Hebrews 2 and 10 says that Christ is the captain of our salvation. <laughs> he's our captain, isn't he? And he's raised up a great army. A great army around the world that follows him. Some even to die for him as martyrs. <laughs> that takes a lot of bravery and courage, doesn't it? Christianity is the biggest, if I can use the term, biggest religious movement in the whole world. After 2,000 years, and it's still growing daily. You couldn't believe that by looking at the Western world, but other places, even in Iran. I'm reading reports coming out of Iran, and it says there's a revival in Iran. So many are turning away from, from Islam in Iran. They're sick and tired of what they're getting by the Ayatollah. You know, it's, one of the, it's one of the richest countries in the world. There's great oil reserves, and they're living in poverty, many of them. And they're sick of it, and they're turning to Christ by the thousands, by the tens of thousands. And then finally, we're almost out of time. It's the very last verse of 1 Samuel 22, verse 23. David says, stay with me. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. Isn't that lovely? But with me you shall be safe. And that shows us that David knew, even though he's been in exile for 10 years, but he knew that was going to come to an end and that he would rule and reign in the land as God had promised, as he'd given him his word through the prophet. He knew that was his destiny and it was going to happen. So he says, listen, I know times are tough and it's difficult, but stay with me and you'll be safe. If you stay with me, you'll be all right. And that's what Christ says to us. Stay with me. You'll be safe. I've got a plan. 
I'm going to rule and I'm going to reign and you're going to rule and reign with me. Stay with me and you shall be safe. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, he is my rock, he's my fortress, and him I will trust. Amen? Hmm. John 10, 28 and 29, Jesus said, And I will give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. But with me, you shall be safe for time and for eternity. Aren't you glad that you're in the hands of David's greater son today? <laughs> Aren't you glad that you're safe in him? No matter what's going on around this world, no matter what the evil one is doing or is about to do, no matter what's coming down the track and there's a lot more stuff to happen, but in the midst of all of that, we are safe in Christ Jesus. Not a hair of your head shall perish, he said. Glory to God. Amen. So come to Jesus just as you are. That's the title of the message today. Distressed, in debt, broken, beaten, bankrupt, all kinds of problems and needs come to Christ. Come to Jesus just as you are. Just as you are. And he'll be taking you in his hands and keeping you safe for time and for eternity. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the life that he has imparted to us. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross that canceled out all of our debt to you. All the times we broke your law, he canceled out. And he gave us this new life of freedom in Christ. So we thank you for your most marvelous grace and mercy and love towards us. We bless you that you are part of your army today. Glory to God. And we thank you that you are the captain of our salvation. So we're pleased to know you, we're pleased to honor you, we're pleased to bless you, we're pleased to worship you today. We thank you that you're King of King and Lord of all lords. And we bow before you in your presence and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us today and all that you've done for us in the past and all that you will do for us in the future. We give you honor and we give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.